Well, good morning, Grace. Glad you're here today. Hope you had a, a Merry Christmas, however you decided to spend it. Whether you're joining us online today or in person, we're really glad you're here. Now, I'd like to start our time today by telling you about a man named Tongji Pepio. Now, you may not recognize the name, but he was famous for a while. But he was famous for the reasons that you don't want to be famous for. You see, Tongji Pepio had a moment in his life, and he'll never be able to live it down. He had this one momentary lapse in judgment, and it cost him so much of what he had worked so hard for. And if that wasn't bad enough, his moment was caught on camera for the world to see, and they saw it. And they mocked him, and they ridiculed him, and he was made the butt of jokes. And even right now, right, thanks to the internet, his moment of infamy is going to live well beyond his notoriety. Every time you Google this man's name, this will be one of the first things that pops up on the top of the list. Even right now, he's being used as a cautionary tale by some no-name pastor in Austin, Texas. Right? I bet you're wondering what happened. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't. And you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. That was Tanje Pepio's moment that he'd like to forget. I don't want you to miss the contrast of his face during this race. We're going to freeze frame it here for a couple of times. This, this is the face of a man who is confident, seemingly in control. He's got victory in the bag, and so his foot is coming off the gas pedal, and he has already started his celebration. But this, this is the face of a man who is out of control shocked at how things are crumbling around him and how it happens so fast. Maybe wondering, how did I end up here? Friends, what if Mr. Pepio's worst moment could point us towards a spiritual reality that would be wise for us to consider as we turn the corner on 2020 and then look ahead to 2021? See, I don't know what 2020 did to you, right? That we're talking at 2020 like it's, it did something to us, right? I, don't, I know there are some in here who are spiritually speaking, maybe uh, things are going well for you. Uh, you're, you and your family are doing well, all things considered, and you're buttoned up, so to speak. Maybe you made it through 2020 relatively unscathed, and you look at the world around you and think, you know what, we've, we've got this handled. This is, this is under control. It's been a hard race, but we've come out ahead. But I know for others of us, 2020 has been a hard year. You've battled some things you didn't know you were going to have to battle. You may feel beaten up. There may be a little more despair than you're accustomed to. And spiritually speaking, you may be in a very dry season or may have even made some choices when it comes to your personal holiness or your walk with Christ and you're reaping some of what you've sown and it hasn't been easy. Or you've traded in some of the abundant life that Jesus has promised his disciples when we follow his commands and you're just a bit shaken. You see, I don't know where you are, but I do know that the passage we're going to look at today has something for you, no matter which side of that coin you find yourself. Today, the word of God is going to give us the antidote for becoming like a Tongji Pepio in your spiritual life. Not only is it the antidote for the dangers of spiritual overconfidence or celebrating too early, but this passage we're going to look at today also has the answer when you find yourself here spiritually. 
broken, beaten, wondering what just happened. And so wherever you are today, this is for you. You see, I want to help us avoid two potential pitfalls today. I don't want anyone, spiritually speaking, to smugly run down the track of life thinking you have things in control. But I also don't want you laid out on the track of life. I don't want you to end up like this. And if you do find yourself there, is there any hope? The Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians today is going to lay out two verses that I want us to consider. And they may be somewhat familiar verses to you if you've been a student of your Bible for a while. But often I find that these two verses are used or quoted independently of each other. But they're connected. They were placed together by the Apostle Paul, especially when you consider the context in which they're found. And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along today in your own copy of the Scriptures, we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're going to start at the very end of chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible accessible, that's not a problem. We'll make sure the verses are on the screen for you as well. Now, before we get to these two verses that we're going to focus on today, it's going to be wise for us to understand the context of what comes ahead of these two verses. And so in the end of chapter 9, starting in verse 24, Paul makes this statement to the Corinthian believers. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly, and I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body. I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself might not be disqualified for the prize. Paul has a mission in mind for you and I, and he uses this metaphor of a race to talk about how we follow Jesus and live like disciples. He says, all runners run, but only one wins the prize. And so run in such a way as to obtain the prize, run to win. And Paul says, I want you to do this so that you're not uh, disqualified. This is the great motivation for Paul. This is the issue he's bringing to the Corinthian Christians' attention. You, in your spiritual race, you don't want to be disqualified. You don't want your efforts to be for naught, and you don't want to be rendered ineffective. Paul says there is a very real danger of not running this race properly. And so he continues in, verse, in chapter 10, and he goes on to illustrate his point. And he's going to use the people of Israel and their journey through the wilderness as a teaching example for those of us who want to run the race well, for those of us who want to run for the prize on purpose. Verse 10, or chapter 10, verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant or unaware. You need to learn this lesson. Ancient Israel is about to provide you today with a sobering illustration of the pitfalls that we too may face as we attempt to win this race. And so in the next following four verses, Paul lays out all the different spiritual benefits, all the supernatural privileges that the people of Israel in their wilderness journey had access to. And he emphasizes in these four verses the word all because he wants them to know they all had access to these things. Here they are. He says, they were all under the cloud. He was referencing that that moment when they would wake up each day, they would follow a cloud. They had supernatural guidance and direction. He says they, were, they all passed through the sea. He's referencing the Red Sea moment where they were supernaturally delivered and liberated out of slavery in Egypt. 
And he says, hey, they were, they were also all baptized into Moses. There was supernatural leadership and identification. And then he says, they also all had the same, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. There was spiritual provision or supernatural provision. Now, just by way of a quick side note today, I want you to know that as believers in Jesus Christ, our advantages are even greater than those of the people of Israel. The resources at our disposal are incomparable to what they had. They only had a small taste of what we get to enjoy. Yes, they had supernatural direction with a cloud. We, we have the Holy Spirit that indwells us and guides us and directs us. Yes, they had supernatural deliverance and liberation. We've been liberated from the great enemy of sin and death through Jesus Christ. They had supernatural leadership and identification. How, how much greater our identification with Jesus. He, we are co-heirs with him and we, we wear his righteousness as our identity. And they had supernatural provision. No, we don't have manna, but we've been given the bread of life that promises a satisfaction that goes well beyond our stomachs. And no, we don't have water out of a rock in the wilderness, but we do have the cup of the Lord's table to remind us of what we have in Christ, our rock. And so the people of Israel, they, they had so many advantages and privileges and, and ours are even greater. But Paul in verse five then makes an emphatic statement of contrast when he says, nevertheless, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their privilege did not guarantee them success in this race. The people with the most benefit failed to use that in a way that would help them win the race. Yes, as believers, we know that our salvation is secure, but we aren't exempt from failure. We aren't exempt from disqualifying ourselves from a race that we want to win. We certainly aren't exempt from potentially misusing or abusing all the privileges we've been given and seeing them as ordinary. And per, verse six, Paul says, that's the point. That's the point of this. Now, these things, in verse six, now these things occurred as examples. Right, one of the important purposes of the Bible is to illustrate for those of us who are faithful followers of Jesus, uh, desirable and undesirable uh, behaviors. Right? There are hero stories, there are tragedies, there are examples to be imitated and those to be avoided. And Paul says, I want you to avoid squandering your blessings and running the race poorly. And so in verses 6 through 10, Paul then kind of moves to where he's kind of recounting all the ways that the people of Israel, instead of running the race well, they failed and disqualified themselves from the race. Here's a quick list of them in verses 6 through 10. You can look at them yourself. Verse 6, they set their hearts on evil things. Verse 7, they became idolaters. Verse 8, they acted immorally. Verse 9, they tested the Lord. And verse 10, they grumbled and complained. And then, and then in verse 11, Paul says, these things were written for your instruction and for your example. Israel's history is divinely designed to speak to us. It's a warning for us. They took the blessings of God for granted. They failed to remember them. And soon the supernatural had become ordinary and spiritual calluses uh, turned into spiritual pride. And we too, we too can forfeit our blessing, our reward. We can forfeit the effectiveness we desire in the Lord's service. No, we aren't gonna, we're not gonna lose our salvation, but for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, we can easily lose our usefulness in the kingdom or our reputation, 
and find ourselves disqualified in the race of the Christian life. And so, with all of that context of the end of chapter 9 and the beginnings of chapter 10, Paul says, look, I want you to win your race, but you need to learn the lesson that's come before you, and then here's how you should respond. Here's how you should live. Two application statements straight from the Apostle Paul in verses 12 and 13. There's one warning and there's one encouragement for us today. These are two ways that we can structure our life and apply them maybe ruthlessly to our life so that this could be our our strict training. This is how we avoid running aimlessly or beating the air. This is how we can gain the prize that lasts forever. Let's read these two verses together, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And verse 13, no temptation has, has overtaken you that is not common to mankind. And God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Let's look at these two verses one at a time together for the rest of our time this morning. Verse 12 begins with the word, so. So, because of all the things Paul just explained, he says, so, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Some of the translations you're reading, the one I grew up kind of memorizing, said it like this. So, if you're, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Take heed. Paul's warning his readers, if you think you're standing firm, if you think you have it all together, if you think you're in a safe place spiritually and you can let your foot off the gas pedal, there's a warning here, friends. Take heed. Be careful. Paul wants us to be aware of the danger and the tendency towards spiritual overconfidence, especially in the race we're running. Have you ever thought or said things like this? I know I have. That'll never happen to me. I would never do that. I can't believe they did that. I'm so glad I don't have to worry about that. You see, I'll admit to you today that the very first time I saw that video of Tanji Pepio, my initial thought was, I would never do that. What an idiot. So smug so proud, so arrogant. I presume that if I ever found myself in a similar situation, I would certainly respond differently. We see these things all the time around us. So many examples, many of you know, we, you'll see a friend who blows up their marriage through a series of terrible decisions. You'll see a minister who wastes a decade of his investment in a church body ruined because of how he chose to use money unethically. You'll see a CEO who loses his business or his reputation because he's recorded saying some awful things. And yet our response to those things most of the time is to think, I'd never do that. That'll never happen to me. Friends, the Apostle Paul would tell you today, before you say, never me, or before you say, that'll never happen to me, take heed. Be careful. Don't, don't become spiritually overconfident. When I was a young man in ministry, there was a loving mentor of mine who 
we were kind of having our regular meeting and um, I could tell something was different about this meeting, right? I, to this day, I don't know what the catalyst for this conversation was, but he came in with maybe the most serious tone we ever had and the most serious conversation we ever had. And, and I'll paraphrase it, but he said something like this to me. He said, Robert, look, you are always less than 15 minutes away from ruining your life with a decision that you can't take back. And Robert, sometimes it's less than five minutes. And he was imploring me. He began to implore me to not let my foot off the gas pedal when it came uh, to my personal walk with Christ or uh, obeying the commands of the narrow path that Jesus calls his disciples. He was pleading with me that I was going to need to daily rely on the Lord if I was going to run this race and run it well. And yet, with that pivotal moment in my life and a conversation that I can recall even to this day, about a month or so ago, I'm just minding my own business, and, and one of my feeds pops a story, and it's one that I, is way too familiar and one I'm tired of seeing. But this one came across my screen because it was someone of, at least from a worldly standpoint, of some notoriety or fame. And it was uh, a well-known kind of famous pastor in New York City. He had been living a duplicitous life, been unfaithful to his wife, and he was rightly ousted from his leadership position at a very prominent church in a very prominent city. And I'll be honest with you again, my first reaction in that moment was, yep, there goes another celebrity pastor who was a fake and a fraud and sullied the reputation of God. Of course it happened to a guy like him. Of course it happened to a guy like him. You see, nowhere in my mind popped the thought, oh God, the, the carnage in that man's family. Oh, Lord, the, the wreckage that's left behind in a local expression of the bride of Christ. Nowhere in my thought that afternoon was, Robert, you're capable of all of that and worse, but for the grace of God in your life and your daily dependence on him. And that very day, the Lord was so kind to me. He didn't let me go more than an hour before he put verse 12 in my mind. The Lord is so good to us if we hide God's word in our heart. He put verse 12 to my mind and said, look, broke me down and said, look, if you think you're standing firm, if you think you've got it under control, take heed, be careful. You too are capable of becoming so spiritually overconfident and trusting in yourselves that you relax in regards to the narrow path that a, G a disciple of Jesus has to walk and find yourself in a very similar place. And then quickly after that, the Lord brought to my attention another verse, Proverbs 16, 18, that says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Here's the real problem with spiritual overconfidence is that most of the time, spiritual overconfidence is masquerading as self-confidence. That's really what it is. It's, it's self-confidence. And as we become more self-confident, we become less dependent on God's word and God's spirit, and we become more careless in living. And as carelessness increases, most of the time, openness to temptation increases and resistance to sin decreases. It's when we find ourselves the most secure or the most in the right place that we still should be on guard and dependent on the Lord. Take heed, friends. Be aware. No one is immune to the danger, so don't listen to pride's snooty voice telling you that you're better than those people. You're vulnerable. 
Admit that to yourself. It could happen to me. Paul is telling the Corinthian believers that there is no place for spiritual overconfidence in a runner's life. Not in the race Paul's describing. You can't let your guard down. You have a real enemy who wishes to do you harm and wishes to do harm to the reputation of our Savior whose name we bear. That's why in 1 Peter, 1 Peter, Peter describes it like this. He says, look, you uh, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't you dare be the prey that is oblivious to the dangers around you. Take heed, friends. Be careful. The enemy is nipping at your heels. He's waiting for you to let your guard down. He is waiting for that moment where you say, oh, I don't need to be as diligent in that area of my life as I used to be. I can coast on in. And so he implores us to take heed. Now, as I thought, as I thought in preparation for today, I wanted to help us by saying, okay, what does taking heed look like? What does that mean? Be careful. And so I, I kind of came up with just five quick things that I think taking heed might look like in your life. I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but I do think it's a start of sorts. Here's the five things that came to my mind. I was like, how do I actually take heed? Here it is. First, recognize your weaknesses. Recognize your weaknesses and how you need the Lord's constant help. Know your bents. Most of us are old enough that we should by this point know our vulnerabilities. The slope of sin is slippery. It always has been. And so where are you acting like you're not vulnerable? Where are you making provisions uh, for the flesh in your life? Where are the proper boundaries not put into place, friends? Pride will blind you to your weakness and pride comes before the fall. So recognize your weaknesses and then also recognize the times you live in. It's difficult out there, friends. The environment we live in, the air we breathe, it is not conducive to following the commands of Jesus that lead to abundant life. And I wish I had the time to go more into depth on that, but I just don't right now. But the reality is we face an uphill battle. It's a hard race. It's very difficult to follow the Jesus way. So recognize the times you live in. Also recognize your enemy. He's real, right? In 1 Peter, he's described as that roaring lion and you don't play patty cake with an apex predator. He's not to be toyed with. There's a real enemy who wishes to do you real harm. And so the fourth thing I thought of is use your spiritual resources. Use, your, use the spiritual resources the Lord has put in, he's placed them right in your lap. Use the tools he's given you. He's been gracious to us. He's given us the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. He's given us prayer, right? An intimate connection between a fallen human being and a holy God, a, a right that was purchased for you by the blood of Jesus Christ, who himself right now is interceding on your behalf. We have his word to, to study and to meditate on and to hide in our hearts. And so listen to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and continue to foster your love and affection for God. Don't allow your heart to grow cold or the, the supernatural to become ordinary in your lives and stay in connection to the resources that the Lord has graciously given you. And then finally, I think taking heed looks like maintaining relationships with other believers. Maintain relationships with other believers who, who know these things as well. We know that. We know that sin thrives in isolation. 
I think that's actually been one of the harder parts of this past year for many of us is just the extra amounts of isolation we've felt sometimes. But if you're part of a church, you're part of a family of co-strugglers, co-racers. And that's why at a church like ours, it's, it's kind of big, smaller groups or smaller contexts are so very important. Because church was designed to be a community of people who help each other fight sin and love Jesus more and more each day. We're supposed to be speaking the truth to one another, confessing our sins to one another, and running after each other as we stray. And so where are those relationships in your life? Who, who knows you? I mean, who really knows you? Who are you in a purposeful relationship with for the sake of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ? Who can ask you those very pointed questions? And who would you actually answer honestly to if they asked? Maintain relationship with other believers. And so the five, the five that I thought of, again, not, not an exhaustive list, but at least a start of what taking heed looks like. Recognize your weaknesses. Recognize the times you live in. Recognize your enemy. Use the spiritual resources at your disposal. And then maintain relationships with other believers. Paul says, look, if you want to win this race, if you want to win the prize, take heed. Be careful. Beware of spiritual overconfidence that ends with a thud. So after verse 12, where Paul kind of kicks out the prop of false security, Paul's then going to point the believers in Corinth to the one on whom they really could rely on verse, in verse 13. The Apostle Paul wants you to know, right, take heed, but he also wants you to be encouraged today that following the Jesus way, becoming more and more like Christ, it is possible. It's not impossible. You can win this race one lap at a time. And so Paul gives them in verse 13 the encouragement he thinks they need in order to run this race well. And he says, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. So lest we become too cynical or full of despair about our spiritual need, verse 13 comes in and offers great hope for those of us who are aware of our fragile spiritual status. Paul says, look, verse 13, victory is available if you're relying on our faithful God, you can win this thing. One step at a time, one lap at a time. He's telling them, look, no, no temptation is inherently stronger than the spiritual resources at your disposal. No temptation is inherently stronger than the spiritual resources at your disposal. And he goes on in verse 13 to, to point out three very important things. One, the temptations and struggles that you face are common and shared among humanity. There's a propensity in human nature to think that we are special or that my problem is different or worse than everyone else's. And I'll agree with you that certain factors may generate greater temptations for some individuals in certain arenas of discipleship. Right? There, are, there are variations of struggle and there are variations of privilege, but the temptations we face are common to man. We're, we're in the same boat. That experience is common to humanity. 
And I think there's great comfort in knowing that it's not different for me than those who have walked before me. Secondly, he wants them to know that God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I know it seems that way, but the word of God has spoken. We can face this challenge so long as we rely on his strength and the resources he's provided and rely on the, holy, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit that he's given us rather than trying to do this on our own. It's bearable, right? Victory is available to us. And then lastly, he says, look, when you're tempted, God has graciously provided a way out. There's an escape hatch. Now, we don't pull the lever all the time. We feel like we're too in deep, or that lever was way back there, and I passed it long ago. But God says, look, in every situation you face, there's an escape. There's an out. And so take it. Don't ignore it. Listen to the Holy Spirit that indwells you and flee and run hard towards holiness and becoming more like Christ in your life. God has been faithful to you in this race in these two ways, right? He's pledged that you won't be tempted beyond what you can bear, not more than the spiritual resources that you have as a child of God. And he'll provide a way out. There's a way. In these ordinary, common, human trials that we face, God can sustain you and he stands ready to help and he is faithful. And we can rely on his faithfulness. Now, I do not want to imply today that this is easy, especially if you find yourself in a bit of a spiritual mess as we close out 2020. In fact, I think that's the reason Paul uses this metaphor of a race. I've been in a few races in my day. I know it doesn't look like it, all right? But I've been in a few races, and every one of them was hard. Every one of them was painful. And every one of them required more of me than I was willing to give at some points. And Paul says, look, you've got to run this race in a different way. You've got to run to win. They're not giving out participation trophies in this one. And so when you're tempted that you can slow down or relax or not be as diligent or think that you've got this, Paul says, take, take heed, friends. Be careful. And if you feel like your situation is unique and that no one understands or it's too much to bear or that there's no hope for future growth in the Lord in that area of your life or you just can't win this one, don't buy that lie either. God is faithful. No temptation has overtaken you that's not common to mankind. Look to the others who have run this race well. Tap into the resources the Lord has given you. And slowly over time, you might find yourself running a little faster and running a little faster and running a little faster. Because the prize, the prize at the end of this race of becoming more and more like our Savior is is worth it. And so Grace, this This is the time of year where a lot of us will consider maybe how we want 2021 to be different, right? I've heard it. I know we're ready for 2020 to be gone, right? But in these moments of reflection and whatever fleeting days or moments you have of 2020, whether it's been a really good year or it's been a really hard year, lean into this warning and this encouragement from the Apostle Paul in verses 12 and 13. Right? If you think you're standing firm, be careful, stay focused. Whether you're 18 or 80, run through the finish line 
all the way until the Lord calls you home. Stay sober-minded and alert and resolve in your mind to, to do the work you can do to protect yourself from the evil one. And then when temptation comes, and it will come, pay, pay attention. The Lord has been faithful. Don't, don't miss his escape route. He's promised to give you one. Tap into those resources you've been given and, then, and the other runners who have run the race before you. And then let's this afternoon run the race to win. And when you wake up tomorrow morning, let's run the race to win. And when you wake up the next day, let's run the race to win. Now, before we conclude today, I want us to revisit the video that we watched at the beginning of our time. You see, our, our first and our natural tendency is to focus on and watch Tongji Pepio. But for this next moment, what if we paid attention to Marin Simon? Who's he? He's the other runner. He's the runner in purple. I want you to watch his face. I want you to watch the way he runs this race. Take my word for it, there's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd, he wants the crowd to cheer his performance, and at the end he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can, and you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him, he'll never make that mistake again. This video isn't about Tanje Pepio. Not to me. This video is about Marin Simon. He's the winner. He gained the prize. Did you see his face, right? Determined, focused, running to the end. He's in this race to win it. And so let's do this, church. Let's be these kinds of runners. I'm going to need your help to do this and to be this. I'm going to need my brothers and sisters in Christ to encourage me to be this kind of runner. But let's be a church full of Marin Simons, running the race to win the prize. Let's pray towards that end today. God, we, we come before you today and we rightly recognize that we are allowed to come to you in prayer through no merit of our own, but by your loving grace that you've shown us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray today, Father, that we would take this warning and this encouragement from the Apostle Paul to heart. Lord, give us ears to hear what it is that we need to hear today. God, our, our desire is that we would be known as a church full of runners who run for the prize. We know there's still work to be done, and we know that there's a lot of race ahead of us, God. But give us the wisdom to take heed and to be careful where we need to. And God, thank you for your faithfulness that you continually demonstrate to us while we run this race. Father, our desire is that we would become more like your son, Jesus Christ. That's our aim. That's the finish line we're after. Help us get there through our dependence on you. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.